Good evening. Sin, self-centered relationships have consequences. This is the Tomorrow Christian Today, reading Genesis 19 in the NLT. Let's pray. Dear Lord, this is not a fun chapter. It's a hard chapter. It's your judgment against sin. It's your wrath against sin. It's your sorrow against sin. It's not pleasant to read or to imagine. I believe it's real and it speaks of your mercy because you're trying to show us how you wish to avoid this at all costs. You're a jealous God who wants our love and who wants our hearts to be in alignment with you. And sin is something that is temporary and comes to an end and brings an end to life. And you are all about life and making life better. Please give us your Holy Spirit to read this somberly, accurately, accurately, with spiritual discernment. Help us to take sin seriously and to realize what it costs the Son of Man, your Son, to die on the cross to make us sons of God. I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Sodom and Gomorrah. I think there's not anybody that I've ever met that if you ever mentioned Sodom and Gomorrah wouldn't know that it's something wrathful or bad or it's something about judgment. So let's read verse 1. That evening the two angels came to the entrance of the city of Sodom. Lot was sitting there when he saw them. So it seems that these two angels are the ones that were with them um, who had visited Abraham and there were three before so we assume that it could be God and two angels so two angels are coming to Lot it, I don't really know they're angels they're helpers they're visitors and somehow Lot who is also uh, he's related to Abraham he's sitting there and he sees them you know and again maybe I just over allegorize everything but it's funny that he sees them does, it, does everybody else see them too or they just kind of pass them by or do they look like regular people how is it that he notices them maybe he was sitting at the gates to the city maybe he was a wise man maybe he, there was something of faith inside of him because he notices them and he offers to um he offers himself to them he says when he saw them he stood up to meet them then he welcomed them and bowed with his face to the ground my lords he said come to my home to wash your feet and be my guest for the night you may then get up early in the morning and be on your way again oh no they replied we'll spend the night out here in the city square he's very respectful to them and they refuse his offer but lot insisted so at last they went home with him lot prepared a feast for them complete with fresh bread made without yeast and they ate oh unleavened bread that's strange wash feet communion unleavened bread how interesting a meal but before they retired for the night, all the, all the men of Sodom, young and old, came from all over the city and surrounded the house. Now, why would they do this? As word got out that somebody's visiting Lot, and, and why are they doing this? Is not people allowed to visit people in the city? Has word got around? Does somehow know that these men are different? Somehow there's gone out that these men are here and they shouldn't be here 
or that they are meeting with Lot in some kind of clandestine meeting and transparency is not being offered and they want to know what's being said or whatever. Verse 5, they shouted to Lot, where are the men who came to spend the night with you? Bring them out so that we can have intercourse with them. So somehow it jumps to crudeness really, really fast. Um, if I read in uh, Dr. MacArthur's um, study notes for the ESV, he says, um, God's attitude towards this vile behavior of intercourse uh, became clear when he destroyed the city. And um, God doesn't like this kind of talk. He doesn't like this um, kind of relationship. And verse 4, the notes are, both the size of the mob of men boisterously milling around Lot's house and the widespread nature of Sodom's um, uh, perversion received emphasis both from the additional qualifiers, all the people to the last man, both young and old. So there is um, this, their, their presence has received some kind of an attention and it seems to be negative. Verse 6, Lot steps outside to talk to them, shutting the, door, shutting the door behind him. Please, my brothers, he begs, don't do such a wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters. Let me bring them out to you. Um, and then he says, please leave these men alone, for they are my guests and under my protection. So he steps in to protect them. Stand back, they shouted in verse 9. This fellow came to town as an outsider, and now he's acting like our judge. So they're kind of attacking him. We'll treat you far worse than those other men. So they see Lot as an outsider. How long has he lived here? I don't really know. Doesn't really say, but um, clearly he wanted to um, go in this direction. He did come to the city, but somehow he's never... He's not been accepted, or it's because he's a different race. But they don't. They seem to, you know, put put that up in his face, and they say they threaten him with it. They lunge toward Lot, Lot to break down the door, but the two angels reached out, pulled Lot into the house, and bolted the door. Then they blinded all the men, young and old, who were at the door of the house. So they gave up trying to get inside. They blinded them. Well, that's interesting because remember when. Um, Saul of Tarsus was on the horse and he was going to, um, he was going after the Christians and Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? And he fell to the ground and he saw Jesus and he was blinded. Um, so these men have some kind of supernatural power. They have some kind of great glory. They are able to do something to the men so that the men cannot see them. You know, I guess the Christian walk, um, we say that God will open the eyes, open your eyes so that you may see truly and you may be able to spiritually discern. It seems that these men have been blind. They're blind spiritually, but they have also been blinded physically as well. So they give up trying to get inside. They're not hammering against the door. Meanwhile, the angels question Lot. Do you have any other relatives here in the city? And then they say, they asked, get them out of this place. Your sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone else for we are about to destroy this city completely. The outcry against this place is so great that it has reached the Lord and he has sent us to destroy it. So that doesn't seem to be mincing words. I don't really hear a metaphor here. The message is plain. This place's, um, this place's time is up. 
It's time to get out of Dodge immediately. This place is about to get busted up. And in Revelation, again in Revelation, God says the cup of wrath, his limits against um, sin, his sorrow against sin is filling up. And the cup of, it's, it's almost to the brim. And that's when God, that's when judgment, um, when God's cup is overflowing. God is patient, it seems, but he has a limit. He has been waiting for people to turn around, to think, to come to him. He's been waiting for them to do this of their own will. Um, but there is a limit to how long God waits. And God is very patient. He says this. He's very merciful. He's very patient. But patience has run out. So Lot rushed out to tell his daughter's fiancés. So I, I, that's what it says in verse 14 of the NLT. Let me just compare that with what's said in the ESV. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters. Okay. Up, get out of this place for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. So they don't believe it. He kind of sounds... Um, he kind of sounds like Noah. He's giving them an urgent message. Get out of... get Come into the ark. Come into the ark. D don't wait. Don't delay. Um, the time of salvation is now. Today is the day of salvation. But it says in verse 14 that the fiancés actually think he's just joking around. At dawn the next morning, the angels became insistent. Verse 15. Hurry, they said to Lot. So it's the next morning. Take your wife and your two daughters who are here. Get out right now or you will be swept away in the destruction of the city. Verse 16. He hesitates. The angel seized his hand and the hands of his wife and two daughters and rushed them to safety outside the city for the Lord was merciful. So even then, they extend mercy to him. God is merciful. God wishes to extend mercy. He doesn't wish that all um, to be lost. I think that says that um, let me just see if I can find that. Is it First Timothy? Um, I thought that it was in First Timothy. God desires all men to be saved. I, I know that's the that's the phrase that's in my head. Oh yes, here it is, First Timothy. And First Timothy chapter 2 verse 3 sometimes my eyes don't resolve everything um, in the bible here but i see it now this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of god our savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth for there is one god and there is one mediator between god and men the man christ jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all which is the testimony given at the proper time you know, sometimes theology just kind of dickers on about the weeds. Oh, Jesus was given only for the believers. Oh, Jesus was given only for everybody. Jesus was a... It seems to me that God gave Jesus for all, but not all will accept. And there's the whole thing about predestination and all these... I don't know why all these ideas came. I, I get it that people try to figure out what's under the hood. I get it that we're human beings and, and God gives us Jesus and we want to figure out how it works. 
We want to figure out what's under the hood. We want to take out the hood and look beyond the curtain of faith and see exactly how all the gears and the cogs all line up. I get all that. We have all these things, Calvinism and Arminianism and Preterism and all the other isms. And you know what? At the end of the day, it's maybe good cerebral theology. Maybe it's good for a book. It's good to sit down with apologetics and and talk about all these things. But the Bible doesn't really say you're saved by all this knowledge. Because some of it is speculation. We don't know how it works. We're like the blind men surrounding the elephant, where the elephant is God. We just kind of feel out God and we, we have a certain perspective about God, but God is so much bigger than we can possibly imagine. How the cross works, how sin works, how it all works. Boy, I, I just think to myself, it makes more sense to me than it did when I was younger, partially because I wasn't really reading and studying the Bible. But in all honesty, how can we discern such spiritual things were it not for the Holy Spirit? Verse 16. Um, okay, so I read that. The Lord is merciful. Verse 17. When they were safely out of the city, one of the angels ordered, Run for your lives and don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. Almost sounds like you're going to be swept away by water, by a flood. Oh no, my Lord, Lot begged. You have been so gracious to me and saved my life. You have shown such great kindness, but I cannot go to the mountains. Disaster would catch up, catch up to me there and I would soon die. I wonder why he says that. I wonder why he, uh, what, why he says that, the, I mean, you know, going into the wilderness and, and going to the mountains, that sounds a little hectic. I have to say sometimes, you know, I've camped, I've been camping once or twice in my life and you know, I haven't, I found camping really hard. Maybe I missed the boat on camping because I know some people in the church who absolutely love camping. They love to go in the wilderness and do everything. But I guess I'm, I like my creature comforts. I like my warm apartment. I don't like bugs. I don't like cold. Um, I don't like rain. <laughs> I really don't like to go camping. It's not really in my genes. And he says, I don't really want to go to the mountains. It's not going to be good for me there. But he says, I would soon die. So maybe he's a creature comforts guy too. So why does he say, does it say anything why? It doesn't really say. An urbanized lifestyle, um, John MacArthur writes, was apparently superior to a lonely one in the mountains and might be why Lot, playing upon the mercy already shown him, negotiated for an alternative escape destination, another city. The angel's reply indicated that this city was included in the original judgment plan would be spared for Lot's sake. So what city are you talking about here? All right, the angel said in verse 21, I will grant your request. I will not destroy the little village. So the angel's talking and then he says, I will not destroy the little village. Oh, wait a second. Is he speaking for God or is he is God? Because he's saying I. He didn't say God will not destroy. He said I will. But Moses was at the burning bush and there was an angel in the bush and the angel said, um, the ground you speak is holy ground. And he says, I am. But Jesus says, nobody has seen God except for me. So sometimes I wonder if God is speaking through the angels because we cannot see God. How can we see God in our present state? Because this angel is saying, I will grant your request. 
or maybe or maybe God has given the angel the power to do this so when the angel says I he's speaking for God as God's ambassador but he, God has given him the power so he's saying I will not destroy the little village maybe that's what it is because all of these all of these beings these angels are really speaking on behalf of God and if they can if they're doing anything with their power it's because God has given them the power he's given them the authority to do it but but the angel says i will not destroy the little village verse 22 but hurry escape to it for i can do nothing until you arrive there this explains why that little village was known as zor which means little place zor hmm zor interesting Verse 23, Lot reached the village just as the sun was rising over the horizon. So the sun is coming over the horizon. Makes me think of that verse, uh, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. But this is the S-U-N, not the S-O-N. Although, sun does sound like sun, S-O-N. Then the Lord, verse 34, uh, 24, I'm sorry, pardon me. Verse 24, Genesis 19, 24. The Lord rained down fire and burning sulfur from the sky on Sodom and Gomorrah. He utterly destroyed them along with the other cities and villages of the plain, wiping out the people and every bit of vegetation. But Lot's wife, verse 26, this is so strange. She looked back as she was falling behind him as she turned into a pillar of salt. Wow, that is really weird. Like... If you're running away from your home, you're no, you're running. I mean, isn't the extinct things to look back? And, but the angel said not to look back, not not to do this, right? Not to look back. Did it? Did he actually give the instruction? Okay, get out of here. Says here, don't look back or stop. That was in verse 17. So he says, don't look back and stop. Um, and she does look back and stop. So she disobeys the instruction of the angel. Now, instinctively, I would look back. So I think I would have got pulverized too. But she does get pulverized and she turns into salt. What is there? Why salt? Why didn't she just evaporate into air molecules? Why salt? Is it something about salt? Is, it, is God trying to make a point? Like it's sad that she died. I, the only point that I ever thought about was she looks back because her heart is still there. Right? She's not a willing participant. She's not, she's following her husband. She knows there's a problem, but she looks back. Like, don't we all look back in fondness of some memories that maybe we shouldn't be looking back at? And there's another verse here, and I know it's in, I know it's in Luke. If I can just find it, because I just looked it up. It's funny because um, I just looked it up, I looked up the verse. And my eyes fell on Luke 10, verses, uh, um, Luke 10, uh, Luke 10, verses 10. This is what Jesus said. But whether you, wherever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this. So it almost sounds like Jesus says, go and tell people, and if they don't listen to you, don't keep fighting, walk away. You know, wash your hands of the matter, Pray for the people, but walk away. So he says that, right? It says, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, we know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Verse 12, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Wow, that, that sounds a little bit like, 
I wouldn't say Jesus is exaggerating or hyperbole, but I think he's saying this to make a point. Because he says he's talking about Sodom, like and Sodom and told Sodom totally got annihilated. But the verse that I was looking for is Luke 9, 62. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And whenever I think of this verse with, with Lot's wife, I think of Luke 9.62 as if Jesus is saying, you're a Christian now, you're a believer. You've entered a new life. Don't keep looking back at the old life. Don't look back for the things in the old life that kept the old man of sin afloat. You are the new man, the new man of eternity. And the things that used to feed your old nature, forget about them. Leave them behind. Um, mortify the deeds of the flesh. Don't lust. Don't be greedy. Don't be jealous. Don't be dishonest. All of those things were things you did when you didn't know God, when you didn't know Jesus, when you were a stranger to God. But now you know God. You, your heart is like God. God lives in you. And those things are strange and alien and foreign and deadly to the new covenant. You don't want to feed the old covenant. The old covenant man has been defeated, but he's still there. You know, he's still there wanting to be fed, wanting to bring you down, and you have to not feed him. You have to starve him out. And by her looking back, it's, there's, there's kind of a higher lesson that's being taught here, I believe, is that if you become a Christian, don't look back to the old life. When Jesus says, do you want to leave? Peter says, there's no place else to go. Where, who else has the words of life? We can't leave. It's as if he's saying we can't leave. We can't ever be the same again. You know that movie, Jesus of Nazareth, 1981, where Peter and Matthew were like bitter enemies and then they become friends. And Peter says to Jesus, hey, you can't go to Jerusalem, Master. They're going to kill you. We will not let this happen. And Jesus, played by Robert Powell, says, Peter, you think like the thoughts of men, but you don't think like God. Get thee behind me, Satan. And Peter's just flabbergasted. He kind of stumbles back towards Matthew. And Peter says, well, I told my wife, you know, I can't really go fishing this year. And Matthew says, don't lie to yourself. Don't lie. You'll never go fishing again. You'll never get drunk again. You'll never be the same again. And we know why, Simon, don't we? We'll never be the same again. And neither would the lives of everyone on earth. And they look back at Jesus and he's just staring into the fire. And of course, Robert Powell has really blue eyes and it looks a little creepy, but I guess that's for effect. You can't go back. You can't be the same again. All the things you used to love, they just don't have it for you. They just don't do it for you anymore. You know, all the episodes of Star Trek, love that stuff, love the science fiction, but it's all the same movies, just people getting beaten up. How long can it feed you? God, it's a process. God is, is weaning you away from the world and he's putting you on the milk of eternal life, which is the Holy Spirit. That's my long-winded diatribe. Verse 27, Abraham got up early that morning and hurried out to the place where he had stood in the Lord's presence. He looked out across the plain towards Sodom and Gomorrah and watched as columns of smoke rose from the cities like smoke from a furnace. Well, so here's Abraham, so it kind of switches perspective, and this poor guy is looking at this going, you know, God did it. He really did it, you know. I mean, it's, it's really pretty horrible. 
you know, it's really pretty bad. I know there's a, a verse in the Bible that says the shame of everlasting fire. Um, oh, yes, Jude. Jude, um, I guess Jude is just one chapter, and it says uh, in verse 7, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah, until the judgment of the great day, that's verse 6, verse 7, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in, in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serves in his example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. And of course, there's always that dickering about eternal fire. Is it burning forever or is it just the penalty is forever? Because Sodom and Gomorrah is not burning anymore. I don't even know where Sodom and Gomorrah was. I'm sure there's theologians who can speculate where it was. And it's never been inhabited again. It's been expunged from the face of the earth. They say Babylon would never be inhabited again anymore. But I just heard a video where it says there's some city there. It's kind of broken down. But they think that's where Babylon used to be. But so Sodom and Gomorrah just got totally expunged from the face of the earth. And I think it's, it's kind of a symbol. It's, it's a symbol. It's a type of what's going to happen in Revelation 20. Sin will be expunged from the universe, totally wiped away. It will be as if it never was. Now, people believe that, um, you know, hell is an eternal fire. It's, it's burning forever somewhere else. I can't say that it is or is not. I can't prove it. I don't know. I'm not really sure, to be honest. It seems that uh, um, sin being wiped out of, into oblivion seems more reasonable to me. But then again, I could be wrong. I do have a way I see it, and I will always say, um, that's, that's how I see it, but you may see it differently, and it's not worth breaking Christian fellowship over. Verse 29, God had listened to Abraham's request and kept Lot safe, removing him from the disaster that engulfed the cities on the plain. God is keeping you safe. You are in the ark. Noah and his, and his family went into the ark and they were safe against the flood water and we are in the ark of Jesus Christ. He is our ark, he is our door to the ark. He is our God in flesh, he is God with us. He is God's plan and with, with Jesus, that is the way God is keeping us safe from sin, from death, from entropy and from destruction. Lot and his daughters, verse 30. Afterward, Lot left Zor because he was afraid of the people there and he went to live in a cave in the mountains with his two daughters. Sounds to me like he doesn't really belong anywhere. Maybe as a Christian, you feel you don't belong anywhere, you belong with God. Maybe you feel like a little pebble that's bouncing around. Sometimes I feel like that. I don't really fit with people around me. Um, I want to fit. I, I feel sad sometimes. Um, the silence is not really aloofness. It's just maybe a sadness. I want to belong. I want to fit. I want things to work sometimes, but you just, somehow you just don't feel like people talk about things that are not important to me anymore. I think things that make me laugh and, you know, give me happiness, but those things are all second now. Salvation is key. Salvation is important. God says he's real. Jesus, the heavenly Lord is, is the historical Lord. The person alive at the right hand of the Father is the same Jesus that was walking around in the Gospels. And he was doing it with intentionality and purpose. 
and who is part of God's plan to save us. And that's not a plan that can just be dismissed casually. God will have his way and God's judgment will be supreme. So how can anything come first in your life over that if you know in your heart of hearts of hearts that God is true and that the Bible is speaking truth? One day, verse 31, the older daughter said to her sister, there are no men left anywhere in this entire area, so we can't get married like everyone else. And our father will soon be too old to have children. Come, let's get him drunk with wine. Sounds like Noah getting drunk. And then we're going to, you know, I, I can't really finish the rest of this, but, but this is her plan. And it says that way we will preserve our family line through our father. So this is a horrible plan. And somebody said, you know, the Bible doesn't really sugarcoat some of the sins. It, it, it doesn't, it doesn't hide the sins. You know, uh, even some of these great men, Abraham, David, they committed, they committed horrendous things. They did wrong things. They were sinners. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But in Hebrews 11, all of the, all of the people mentioned there, they were all sinners, but God overlooks the sin. He forgave it all. He only says the good things, what they've done. We've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. And sometimes when we're tempted to attack somebody else, maybe we need to step outside ourselves, turn around and look at ourselves as in Exodus 12, when they turned around and looked into their tent to see what sin is there. Look into your own life and you know that you really don't have the ability to judge other people. We can influence people for good, but being self-righteous and smug, and I've certainly seen people like that who seem self-righteous and smug, they have to make themselves feel good by stepping on the heads of other people to make themselves feel superior. And I just shake my head and I go, why? Why are you doing that? And I have to remind myself, I've done it too. I have to remind myself, I've done the same things. And I did them because I didn't care and I really wasn't thinking and it wasn't considerate. It says, uh, verse 33, they got, they got him drunk with wine. The older daughter went in and then it says, he was unaware of her lying down or getting up again. Verse 34, the next morning, the old daughter said to her younger sister, um, I was with our father last night. Let's get him drunk with wine again. And then you go in. That way we'll preserve our family line through our father. And verse 35, they got, um, they got him uh, drunk. Younger daughter went in. And it says, as before, he was aware of her lying down or getting up again. This seems to be a historical record that has not been polished or edited at all. I couldn't, I couldn't read the whole thing. Um, I just didn't, I just don't feel that I should, I, I want to read it. I feel, I don't know. It's just, it's horrendous, but, but it, it smacks of truth. Why, why did they do this? Why did they feel they had to do this? This is a lack of faith. Why couldn't they trust in God? But then again, I think of my own life. Why didn't I trust in God sometimes? And Adam and Eve, why didn't they trust in God? Why did they have to question God? Why did they have to listen to the snake guy at the tree? Why did they have to listen to the alternative counterfeit voice? Because that's what sin does. Sin makes us disbelieve God. Sin kills faith. God asks us to have faith in him, to trust him, to love him, to believe him. And our human nature says, nope, got to do it myself. I'm having trouble. I got to verify you, God. Yeah, just, just stick, just hold right there. Let me just go get some independent verification. I'll talk to you later. That's what religion is. Just 
doing something mindlessly and you have no idea why you're doing it and what you're doing it, not trusting God, just trying to work for God's favor or just not even caring. So verse 36, as a result, both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their own father. Wow. Verse 37, when the older daughter gave birth to a son, she named him Moab. He became the ancestor of the nation now known as the Moabites. When the youngest daughter gave birth to a son, she named him Ben. Ami, he became the ancestor of the nation now known as the Ammonites. So that's quite a story. Do I believe it's true? Yes. God will have his way. God is waiting for us all. He would rather give mercy and grace than justice and law. Jesus died so that we could get what we don't deserve. And Jesus died because he got what he didn't deserve. God loves us so much. He says, I will die so that you may live. Satan is selfish. He's self-centered. His love is for himself and nobody else. And Satan is, I will kill you so that I may live. You decide which side you want to be on. God bless you all.